0: Welcome to the Master Your Mix Podcast, helping engineers, producers, and artists create professional recordings and mixes, even from home. I'm your host, Mike Davina. Let's get started. Hey, welcome to the Master Mix Podcast. My name is Mike Navina, and thank you so much for being with me today. Today, my guest is McKay Garner, And if you're not familiar with McKay, he is a producer, engineer, mixer, multi-instrumentalist, composer. He's done it all, and he's worked with a ton of great artists such as Jay Dilla, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Mike Shinoda of Linkin Park, Michael Buble, Dead & Company, and a whole bunch more. He's also had music that has been featured in the Transformers movie, in video games, TV shows, such as Total Recall, America's Next Top Model, Grey's Anatomy, and a whole bunch more. And in this conversation, we have a great chat all about The arrangement of music and how it's so important to understand how every element of your arrangement comes into play and how it can make a big difference in terms of the clarity of your overall mixes by planning in advance, by actually really visualizing where things are going to go. You can actually almost guarantee the success of your mix if you've worked on the arrangement well enough. You just have to be mindful of you know what elements are going to fit where, which registers things are going to be sitting in, and a whole bunch more. We get into a lot of detail inside of this episode. And another great topic that we get into with this episode as well is the idea of writing music for film and TV. And since McKay has a lot of experience in this, we get into some of the details about different revenue streams for people who are interested in this and how to actually get your music picked for this, who to talk to. I know that there are a lot of people listening to this podcast who have built a big catalog of music and they're wondering, you know, how do you make money off of this stuff? Or how do you actually, like, get it in the hands of the people that matter? Well, with all the tips that McKay gives you in this interview, I think you're going to get a very clear plan of action for some things you can do to put your music out there and hopefully get it licensed and make some money off of it. So. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. McKay is a really fun guy. He's also a very visual person. So if you're a visual learner, you're definitely going to find this interview very helpful because he has a really great way of describing things in a way that you can very easily visualize it and relate to everything he has to say. So with that said, let's just jump right into today's interview. McKay Gardner, thank you so much for being on the Mastermix podcast. How are you today? I'm great, man. It's it's my pleasure to be here. Amazing. For people who might not be familiar with you, can you give us that little background on who you are, what you do, and how you got into music and production and mixing and all all the stuff you're doing? Mm, right on. Um, I think like a lot of people, the trajectory may start
1: uh, just in music. So for me, it was like school band and marching band and then getting into orchestras and playing in rock and funk bands and then eventually going to school for music and still doing the same things at night, you know, playing in an orchestra in the day and then hard funk at night, you know, <laughs> and touring and that kind of stuff. Uh, so that kind of led in, into the studio. I think in, at age 16 uh, was my first studio experience and hearing how the sound could be changed and the emotions changed straight away just by moving an EQ or a fader or adding a particular kind of ambience or something. You know, definitely flipped my ears up as, like, what's that about? You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, and eventually started getting to four track recording on cassette and then eight track cassette, and that moved into reel to reel and those kind of things. But uh, for me, being in, being around people that would, tell me to pay attention to certain things, like what, what makes something cool. Uh, if anybody's ever heard me on an interview, or another, another spot, I'm always talking about food <laughs> <laughs> because it's so easy to identify, um, for all of us. Cause it's something we do a couple of few times a day, you know? So, uh, it was similar to me in, in production is a friend of mine, uh, named tiny, just greatest dude ever would be like, man, check out this bass line on the song, you know, and it's, it's stuff I didn't really pay attention to as much. I was just kind of had my soup in the chowder, and then I went on with my day, you know, and he was like, check out this potato right here, you know, <laughs> so I started paying attention. I'd play, pay attention to not just drum parts. I was a drummer initially, you know, but I, I was playing keyboards and stuff a bit too, and he's like, listen to these listen to the way the interaction of these two lines and this is playing octave up and this is doing a harmony and this chord is broken out between these different instruments and stuff. Um, he just pointed out one simple thing like check out the bass line or check out the hi-hat and it made me listen differently to production and also how those things change within a mix and in a production. Like what octave they go into, are there effects added, and and... All of a sudden you're kind of eating your chowder, you know, (laughs) and you're like, oh, man, they use these particular kind of carrots and this place is using pepper and the other one's using some kind of, you know, other kind of spice. And you start to like different things about them. And when you start listening to music in a way that you're noticing, obviously, different snare sounds or into more delicate things like frequencies, like how the presence of this vocal and the warmth of this and how wide it is in speakers and how, how you know, focused it is and those kind of things. It just barrels into a, a production listening thing where you're paying attention, you know, like paying attention to the trees. Like, oh, what kind of tree is that? It's amazing, you know. It's It's good for this amount of time and then it disappears and this other tree takes over, you know. So... Uh, that led me into recording more, starting to produce artists uh, several decades ago, and it was demos at first, and then it got into being better at demos. My production sc- skills and my arranging skills and musician skills were you know, progressing faster and being focused on early on more so. Um, There wasn't as much content like we have today where you can go on and figure out how to use most anything in the world, you know, you had to kind of know somebody and experiment. Um, But as my, as my skills got better all around and and demos started sounding closer to records, then I started getting hired, people asking me like, can I hire you for, you know, producer record, that kind of thing. And then I got signed to a a label as a solo artist that brought me to LA, uh, from North Carolina. And, um, I started producing some things for other artists on that label and working on my own record. And that put me in, in Westlake, uh, studios in LA, uh, working in like, you know, the thriller room and poking around at gear going, what is this, you know, (laughs) and, the curiosity just consistently bleeds into the next curiosity. And the more studios you work in, you're hearing the different rooms, you're watching engineers decide where to put the kick drum or where to, you know, in the room, in the acoustic space. Um, You're seeing how people listen. Some of the, I lived in LA for about, I think, 15 years. And the different studios you're working in or having people work on a project that you're working on you kind of see how people listen and you see how their choices are informed and not everybody's sitting in front of two monitors determining, you know, what 2K should be doing right now or something. They're kind of like, how's this feel? And then, you know, had several people just walk over to the door and listen and be like, oh, it feels different because I'm I'm paying attention differently. I'm not so zoomed in, I'm zoomed out, you know, and that changed their decisions. So I, I think perspective... Really, kind of helped inform all the all the cooking skills you can take in, you know. And you're learning like how to make this Moroccan thing, and you're learning how to make great Mexican, Mexico, Mexico City style tacos versus this other style, you know. <laughs> and you're just constantly curious about how these different things interact to make the final actual experience of, uh, you know, what makes this kind of soup and what can, this kind of soup for this different region. And eventually when people ask you, you know, Hey, can you cook up one of these? You know, you've got about 45 different recipes per thing that you can pull out and go, this would be killer. Let's use this cilantro from this side of the street and this, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, Yeah. So, um, Man, I'm going to be so
0: hungry by the end of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, there is no doubt about that. (laughs) But it's
1: so easy to grasp, you know, because all of us kind of get these things where you're like, you've had the same dish maybe in a few places and you you eventually, you may have three that are great, but for different reasons, you know, and you're like, oh, I like this for this dish and this for this version of it, you know, and it's so easy to grasp. Um, So, yeah, that kind of sent me down that road and, I opened a couple of different studios in L.A., first in Pasadena, and then I opened up a bigger one in L.A. for the second one I ran about 10 years and did, you know, my career progressed a lot in there because just to, there's so much work going on there and there's so many people that just show up and be like, hey, I need to book a day or something. And, and you don't really know who's in the room, You know, they'll bring people that are are just superstars or something or they're – it's Wednesday and then they become superstars on the next Thursday, you know, and you didn't even know. So Mm -hmm. um, it's just kind of being in the room thing. So those kind of trust things. And this this is a pretty big deal for everybody out there who's trying to start a business or keep a business going or be an independent uh, producer or mixer is it's really about – you know, we're all trying to get the skills, you know, you want to be able to cook, (laughs) but it's, it's about trust because all of us uh, as musicians or collaborators have a group of people that we know we can call that A, have the skills, are reliable, and maybe even more so, they're a good hang. You know, you're like, you like hanging out with them. You don't feel like there's going to be a lot of drama that, that you're going to recommend them for your clients and it's going to be a, a, some kind of sour note experience, you know? So, of um, I think that's, that's a pretty big deal is once you can gain enough people's trust that you can deliver and try to be cool to work with, you know, that's going to give you a long career and those people will keep coming back. Just, just like we all do. We, we have friends we trust just to hang out with, you know, um, the same is true for producers and engineers and musicians. Of course, I'm sure you've heard that so much on your podcast, but it's well. It's I mean, such a- it's
0: such an important thing that it, it has to come up, right? And if people aren't listening, they need they need to hear it again. You know, it's like it, it's one of those things that if you like, a lot of people don't think about it in the moment. You know, they just kind of react, and it's like no, you just have to kind of step back, like step back a little bit, and actually think about things before you react, like instinctively sometimes, and just like be be aware of this and how you interact with people and, and how big of a difference that makes. Cause yeah, it, it's the difference between someone coming back to work with you throughout their their entire career versus just like, this is the only time. And you know, someone else is making that money in the long haul. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, trust, trust of course is
1: earned and all that stuff. And it doesn't mean you can't be human and of not course. have some emotional moments or, or call it like you see it, you know, but, um, those are dynamic relationships that, if you haven't known somebody so long and you, you deliver some hard line, you know how you deliver that Your the art of tact may or may not determine how that goes from there. You know?
0: <laughs> so. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, yeah. you said something earlier that I think is a really important topic to bring up as well, which is the idea of you had, you had a mentor who, or, or some friends of yours who were at least saying like, listen to the base here or listen to the hi-hats and that kind of stuff. And I think that that's something that a lot of people just don't really take the time to to really learn is like that production side of it and the arrangement. It's like, you know, we kind of for some some musicians, it's just like I came up with a cool lick and like I'm going to hit record and, and that's it. Right. Or like, you know, you're jamming with your band and everyone just kind of does their own thing. And at the end of it, you're like, cool. I th- yeah, we have a song. Let's hit record. Right. But like when you actually pay attention to those little details inside of the productions that we hear on the radio or whatever, it's like you start to learn how to arrange things better and you start to learn how to position things better in your mix and or come up with different tones. So I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about the art of like actually listening to productions and like some of those lessons that you heard or that you learned as a result of, you know, paying attention to these little details. Like what are some of the things that stood out to you when, when you were first starting to like become aware of this stuff? Sure. Uh, the, you, you may want to grab a seat because this, this
1: I could go on about that for so long, <laughs> almost anything. It's a loaded but, uh, question, I know. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It, it's really important to me. Uh, and not only that, but I'm almost a, an evangelist for how career-changing and perspective-changing it can be to be able to not just notice the details, but be able to zoom out. And I think that's the thing that most, especially mixed engineers are trying to do is learn how to get deep into details and try to figure out once which ones really matter. And usually in your brain, it's all of them, you know, and then also zoom out and going, okay, did I get into this detail and ruin the perspective of the whole overarching message, you know, just by working on that one thing. But when we get back to the scope from uh, as a producer or a mix engineer, there's a lot of things that are completely key to how the emotions unfold and and I say emotions the emotional message you know what energy and message is to be conveyed as a song overall or a piece of music whether it's a song or not and how that's going to lay out from section to section and that's very much back to the how a meal is going to lay out <laughs> you know this this verse is going to be a little salty and it's going to get sweeter we're going to add some notes as it goes through and we're going to give you this experience that is a journey and it's compelling from note 1 to the final fade or reverb tail or whatever right and i think kind of keeping that zoomed out approach of like what's the message what's the energy is something that that often takes a while to learn. Some, some artists just kind of get it straight away, just like, you know, some musicians are at three years old or or Mozart, you know, (laughs) so it is what it is. But for most people, we're, we're given something just like a dish when you're a kid and you're like, this is good. And you have no idea what's in it. You just get texture and you get flavor and it's an experience. And, And it's like that with a lot of music. You get it. You see a painting, and you're like, "It's a forest." You know, it's not until you start looking in how it's how it's put together that you notice there's like one yellow leaf in the left corner, and there's like a rabbit in the other side, and you didn't even notice it. And all that's part of the experience. You, you notice the sky and what time of day it is. This is kind of what we're doing a lot with music is we're getting a a picture like walking into a room in somebody's house, and you straight away get a vibe. You know. You walk in, there's a there's a particular like scent, there's a particular color, the way the light's hitting the room, what things are in the room, is it really minimal? Is it crowded? Is it mostly blue? Is there a bunch of yellow stuff? Is there a lot of contrast? Um, songs kind of give us that thing. And if, if you're not really paying attention to the details, you walk in and you get an experience and it's an overall emotion, like, whoa, that's killer. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what does that mean? it means it felt killer in some way. Then you start getting down to like, why, how did it feel killer? You know, was it the impact of the beginning or was it the, the journey of like blooming into this, you know, delicate thing to a big assault at the end? Not really sure. So, um, the cool thing about dissecting a, a production or a mix is knowing how, uh, how much that each element and choice affects the next stage of production, obviously, meaning this, the songwriting or the composition of the piece, melodies, harmony, rhythms, um, all those kind of things. And then there's the, the sonic choices the arra- the before the arrangement, maybe it's like I'm gonna play this Strat through a you know a silver face reverb or something. And I was like, okay, uh, let's say a a deluxe reverb or something. Um, and I'm going to add a little bit of distortion and the drummer's like, you know what, I'm going to use this fat snare drum. All those things are timbre choices and they affect what things are going into that room, big blocky furniture or really minimal with some Tommy mats or something. Those are feelings you're creating. The, the arrangement affects the mix in so many ways because, it's not really spoken very often of on the internet because there's so much for engineering. It's so blocked off into frequencies and it's not often correlated that frequencies are actually pitch. Mm -hmm. And with things like big bands and orchestras, before we had every sound ever made or not yet made available to us in our bedroom, (laughs) you know, in Logic or Pro Tools or Ableton or whatever... People had a piece of paper and they and they had trombone and tuba and trumpet and drums and bass and maybe they had strings and those things. And those were the presets, you know what I mean? And each one of those things... Like a trombone could be really brash and have almost a sawtooth kind of vibe, or it could be kind of smooth and be a lot more like a square wave on a synth or something, you know, depending on how the person plays it. So it's like, okay, I got my trombone and we got like five presets of of timbre. There's there's a lot more, but let's just say I'm composing and I'm arranging and I'm like, I want this section to be really heavy and gritty on the bass, uh, bass frequencies, which means that maybe in the composition, I'm making arrangement choices that also affix, aff- affect the mix of how we're going to hear it, is if the trombone's down here playing a, a low E, and I've got uh, upright bass also playing a low E, those two together are going to make one sound, basically. One of them may be the sub-bass, and one of them may be the, the upper mid-bass somewhere. So the composer is using that timbre to literally deliver a mix of how those frequencies are going to be delivered and also deliver how we feel it as a listener. And then they've got all these other textures. And this is is such a big deal with mixing and production is long and short notes, like a flash of light in your eyeball like this is like, whoa, but if you blasted a laser beam in your eye and left it on, you know, it's a whole different feeling. So similarly with short notes that are really smooth and legato versus notes that may be longer feel more like a bath versus a drop of water on your face, you know, so a a warm bath versus a, a drop of something is a different feeling. And I think a lot of arrangers, instinctively use those kind of things but what register they in? They are in what octave, uh, what timbre you choose as a producer or as a band if you're in a band and you're not I'm not a producer but I'm making these tracks the decisions you make to play really short staccato notes in one section and then go to open chords on the next section and then go to arpeggios on another section and strumming and, and what octave you're playing in, those are not only arrangement choices that are affect our energy, like are those you know, short bursts of short notes coming at us and in what octave they're in, but also they're mixed choices. So if the bass is going up two octaves for the verse then there may not be a lot of weight on the verse and that may be a feeling choice. Like I don't want the verse to really have all this weight. And when the chorus hits, it drops down two octaves and all this weight kicks in and we immediately get this feeling like, Oh, the tide just came in. You know what I mean? So, yeah. um, I, I can't stress enough. Like the knowledge of what's happening in the arrangement can affect your mix choices. Um, Depending on what your your goals, you know, are you mixing for someone else? Are you mixing your own material? And you're like, I can't get more bottom out of this section or something. And it's like, well, let's look at the octaves and what things are in what octaves and what sounds were used in that section. You know, maybe that... Um, that kick drum that's kind of just poking through and it's got a lot of like 180 hertz or something is killer when the bass is down an octave, but in the verse, the bass is up higher and the kick drum's just kind of going dink, 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 you know? So it's like, ah, oh, do I want more bottom there? Am I going to, you know, layer some kind of kick drum that's got a longer note on it, that's going to have some sustain? Am I going to use some kind of reverb or some other thing that's got um that I've put low end, you know, or let low end come through to make those notes seem longer. And those arrangement choices in just the instruments, the timbre of the instruments and the, uh, the arrangement, long and short notes and what octaves they're in, those already affect the mix. And then as a mixer, you may be adding length to notes by using... Uh, reverbs or delays, you know, a, a short blast of energy, like I was saying earlier, is just that, but a, a, a lot of feedback with a, or a delay is like, <clears throat> that's a much longer note that we perceive, even though we can hear the chops, you know, the energy lasts longer than it would if it were short bursts. It's like opening the blinds and closing them, you know, but if you kind of open them a little bit, by using a delay or a reverb or something, it, it feels a bit like there's more sun in the room and and that could be at different frequencies. So that's a kind of abstract but hopefully relatable answer about things to listen for in that I started to get into initially, like I said, I was just like, yeah. listen to this part. It's cool. You know, listen to how it interacts. It's playing the same thing as the guitar but down an octave, you know, or listen to how it's it's long, smooth notes through the, this section, and then it goes to this other section, and it's playing, you know, staccato 16th notes through this whole section. And maybe the meter or the implied meter goes from these kind of 8th note, 16th note things in a in a binary, like 2-4, 4-4 four, four, four time signature, and you go into s- something that feels like 6 eight. you know? It's like, boom, back! you know, and the whole feeling changes. It's like the the square room became a round room, you know, and it's still blue and whatever, same stuff in the room, but you're like, whoa, new perspective, you know? So those are choices that everybody can have in their back pocket. And the more emotional levers you can pull, it gives you a lot of interpretations, like knowing more than one chord on the guitar and knowing more ways to play that. Chord in different octaves and different uh, chord inversions can deliver it in a different way and get out of the way for something else.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that answer. Like, you know, I I do think, uh, you know, you gave some really great examples, like that whole uh, was it orchestra section you were talking about. You were talking about like, you know, having your brass and and uh, you know your horns and all that kind of stuff, and like kind of determining which one's providing the low end, which one's not. Like, it's it is so relevant to how we make music these days, and I and I think that. That is something that a lot of people, again, just like oh, it sounds cool. I'll play it like this, but then when you actually like do step back and you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, where did the where did that low end go? Like, you know, if I if I play the bass higher up on the neck, like, who's filling in the low end because it's not there anymore? You know, like that. These are these are things maybe that that's cool. Yeah, yeah, maybe that is cool. And but if it's if like the mix is feeling weak, maybe it's because you should play it a little lower on the neck. You know, like maybe like things like that sometimes are like this. The smallest differences, that, the smallest changes, that can make the biggest difference. And you know, that that is why it's so important to pay attention to those little details. And, you know, I would definitely recommend that anyone who's listening to this podcast, like, you know, take the time to actually listen to the music that you're listening to, like on a deeper level, like not just from a personal enjoyment perspective, but like actually pay attention to the way things interact, because, you know, all of this stuff is so important. and And when you start to actually pay attention to those things, you can start to discover, you know, what actually makes a a song sound as big as it does or why a hit is a hit you know what are these little elements that come together you know it doesn't mean you're always going to produce every song you could you're going to work on is going to be a massive success but you know it's like at least understanding how the emotional responses are triggered by the arrangement or um you know how how people learn to dance to a song or that kind of thing it it all Mm -hmm. comes down to just like paying attention to these interactions of of all the instruments in the arrangement so
1: totally and it's 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 you know all music doesn't sound the same and that's the beauty of all the choices we have, but they're so related in, you know, we're literally playing rhythms and melodies and harmonies and some of them have focus on one more than the other. And one element is like a dish with just two ingredients can be amazing if those ingredients are, are so great quality in some way, you know, if they're really telling the truth in some way. But um I think if you see the correlation of like, you know, kind of like humanity we're just a bunch of bones and some brains and (laughs) some some choices I think music is similar we got a bunch of long notes and short notes and a bunch of different timbre and the way we split up you know literally frequencies from what we can hear to the other end of what we can hear you know what are we going to do with this palette and then in the mix you know in stereo mix we've got left to right center and then you know, I've been doing Atmos and stuff, so now you've got a much wider palette, and you're, you think about, what am I going to do with the space that people are going to hear, and how's it going to translate in headphones, and uh, all that stuff is, it's so similar. So it's even more exciting when you're paying attention, and you're like, whoa, you know, I love how these these two instruments were chosen to play those sounds, you know, you're, they're playing the third and they're, they're playing the, the root in that chord yeah. and the, the way those two timbres work together and maybe one's short and one's long. So one timbre is the tail of the note and the other one's the, the attack, you know? So um, after having, you know, dived in, into dove, after I dove into uh, <laughs> synthesis and those kind of things years ago, You start to see the correlation of all these different things in acoustic music and in, you know, synthetic music, Mm -hmm. um, sample music, attack, decay, sustain, release, and how different parts of the sound can be layered. And you're like, you're back to the big band or something again. You're going, oh, you know, they're doing pizzicato while these other things are doing the sustain of that same chord, and it's
0: cool. Yeah. Well, you, you also brought up another good point there, too, of like you talked about like how you're getting into Atmos and all that. And, and like, you know, there this conversation, like it totally applies to creating wide mixes and that. That is something that I know a lot of people have a lot of trouble with sometimes, too. It's like they're not sure where to put things or how to get their mixes sound bigger. But it really does come down to the arrangement. And if you're if you're like I, I'm I, maybe I'm just a visual person, but like I always kind of picture like in front of me, like where is everything supposed to be sitting in the mix? Like, you know, if if I have one thing on the left what's compensating for it on the right or do i want my mix to feel lopsided you know like those those are the kind of decisions you sometimes need to make and 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 if and if you feel like it's lopsided well then what's going on the right like are we going to double apart we're going to fill it out over there like those are the sort of things that you need to be aware of so that you can create that spot that space and especially when you go into something like atmos or you know any sort of surround where you've now expanded that field like it, you have to be constantly aware of that you know you know Surround sounds, mixes sound really boring when everything is in the center only, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> it doesn't do anything. Right. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta have fun with it and like plan where things go. And, and from there you can create something exciting and, and create that atmosphere. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 And yeah. I think that somebody, you know, who's been around at some point mentioned there just, you know, in, in in music, there's all these different dynamic levels, you know, pianissimo and fortissimo and ranges all in between. And there's not really, there's, there's a reference of what, what the middle is before you can have any kind of contrast, you know? So, um, if, if your mix is wide the whole time, that can be a really cool experience as well. But a a lot of times mixes that, that have contrast. And even though your acoustic guitars were, we're wide in the chorus, you know, maybe you want to bring them in, in the verse. And maybe that's a more intricate, uh, sorry, intimate experience um, as you're going on the, the journey of listening. And these are things you may not notice as a listener. It's just the field kind of collapsing and expanding and not just in in how wide you do things, but what frequencies you use and to feature Going wide or going narrow, and those kind of things. Like, uh, you know, are the the higher frequencies still up the middle? Is it just the vocal up the middle, and the things in the left and right speakers are either a mix, mixed a little darker, or maybe in the arrangement their chord voicings are a little low to, lower? And then when the chorus hits, all these new octaves of whatever high chimey guitars or bell sense or whatever give you this feeling like somebody opened the blinds, you know, and it's like there's high frequency content now, not just up the middle where the, maybe a female vocal was that has a lot of extra air and top end. But when the chorus hits, maybe the whole mix, the sky opened over the whole mix and the sun came out, you know, and then it may collapse again or get dark. It may still be wide in the bridge, but, the frequencies that are used may not be all as much high frequency content on the bridge because you kind of want the lighting to be a little more blue than a shiny, sunny day, you know. So mm. those kind of contrasts, both in arrangement, what octave you're in, what voicing you use, and also the way you mix it are the things that can sometimes feel like, not necessarily that you're getting bored because a mix could doesn't have to change at all if... Like I say, if one or two elements are so unbelievably compelling, you know the mix would never have to move. Just like a person singing solo or one guitar and vocal, and you never do any width or any kind of changes, but the lyrics or the melody is just so much the truth that you're you're engaged, you know, the whole time. But sometimes the combination of all those, if the song's really compelling. And yeah. then the mix is blooming and collapsing and getting thicker on the bottom. And then maybe it's, you know, it's not as thick or maybe it's focused on the rhythm in this section. And then it's focused on texture in the next section. And we've got all these levers that can
0: deliver a, a, a you know, 20 course meal and make it amazing. <laughs> For sure. And that's a really good point that you brought up, too, of like, you don't you don't need to throw everything at it to, to make your mix sound fuller or bigger. Like sometimes the simplest solution is all that you need, right? Like, just like you said, an acoustic guitar or a vocal only, like if, if that is compelling enough and that's got like all the energy you need, then great. You've created that connection with the listener. That's, that's the most important part. So yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a, in a dense arrangement. Um, I was mentioning earlier, someone, someone mentioned that, you know, there is not necessarily allowed without a, a softer or a softer or there's not mm-hmm. necessarily a fat without a thin to compare it against you know and in a dense mix the mix can sound fat but you know as you know you start soloing things and, and things may have all kinds of things carved out with uh, of the sound and it may sound a little thin on its own maybe you've carved out a lot of low end and some and say 300 et cetera, below all the way below that for acoustic guitars and Maybe even higher. And on their own, they're they're kind of like, "Oh, that's not really a full guitar sound that I'd put behind one vocal." But in the mix, all the sparkle and the string strumming attack and whatnot is cutting through the mix, and the other things that are ringing out the whole time are not in the way of these other keyboard parts that need to be in that octave more predominant, you know. Mm-hmm. So even if the keyboards and the guitars are playing the same chords with the same voicing, you may use one more for the attack. Maybe it's the strumming guitars and the roads or something. You may be taking out some of the attack clunky part and using it more for the sustain of the, the low mids or something. Um, all those are back to that same thing I was saying earlier is who's, who's doing what part of what chord, <laughs> you know? <laughs> are they focused on the long part of the, the note they're playing or is it the whole
0: note or is it just part of the note that I want to hear? You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. It reminds me of like one of my mentors used to always say that like everything in music breaks down into one of three categories. It's either rhythmic, it's melodic, or it's harmonic. And when you decide on what role each is supposed to be, that kind of dictates what to do with it in a mix. You know, if like maybe, maybe the, you know, the percussive stuff, it's like, you you just want to bring out the attack of it. You want to have that percussive feel. So maybe that may, like that could be an acoustic guitar. Just, you know, just like, trying to bring out a little bit more pick attack and if that's what that role is in the song then you don't need all the body of that guitar you can just focus a little bit on more of the pick side of it and you know if you bring that out then mission accomplished you know so it's like kind of starting to analyze your tracks that way and, and realize like okay what is this actually contributing to the overall arrangement and to the mix of it once you start doing that it makes mixing a lot easier um so yeah i, I love i love the way you put it and and like it, it's so relevant it's you know having it's so like all of this stuff. It's like you have to be aware of it, and I think a lot of people. It's just like a music is just like an emotional kind of thing, and we just kind of go with it. and And sometimes that does lead to really good things. But sometimes when you're struggling with an idea or you're not quite sure why your mix isn't working, it's like start to like step back a little bit and analyze like what what's actually going on under the hood here. And uh, well, I think once you get into that, that's when you can really start to piece things together to to fit right in the mix. Yeah, it, totally. It, it seems like you're very like. Methodical about the way you approach your productions, and so I'm curious to know, like when I know I know you do a lot of producing. When you start producing a record for a band or for an artist, like how involved do you get from the from the production standpoint? Like, do you get involved in the songwriting, or is that kind of does that differ based on project to project? Hmm. Um, well, a lot
1: a lot of what you're hearing now and me talking about it is is focusing on my awareness, but I'm not when I'm interacting with musicians, I'm not running through a checklist of whether they're hitting any of these things in particular, it's more an awareness, just like learning a bunch of guitar licks and you're not thinking about this applies for number 37 lick. I'm going to put this <laughs> in. And you know, I'm not, there's always a bit of, of analysis. If you, if you're hearing rhythms, you've heard a lot before or something, it's kind of in your brain, but, um, definitely a lot of, it. it it's, seriously about the emotion and all that stuff. So when you're not thinking about, these are the things that you do when you're critically listening and learning and you take those with those experiences with you, like practicing how to jump out of the way of a car, you know, (laughs) when it happens, you're not, you're not evaluating it. You just do it because you've been paying attention to how to, how to do it. You know what I mean? Um, not the best example, but, uh, as far as production and interaction with, with artists, I've been fortunate to work on a lot of different styles of records, and it can vary a lot in that maybe an artist has a very specific vision and a lot of extra skills that go with it in arranging and other things that I'm somewhat kind of... a a shepherd a bit of like taking all these great ideas and not just saying, here's how it's going to go down. It's a lot of conversations about the message, literally that because I I can produce a record in so many different ways. And when you've got these different kinds of lightings to look at things, it's like taking a photo and saying, which Instagram filter best represents how you want to depict yourself, you know? And, the conversations with an artist are like, what things are you into, you know, what things have inspired you? Maybe it's music, maybe it's records, but maybe it's, it's about the message. Cause I'm a, I'm a, as you can may tell, I'm a very visual kind of person. So (laughs) when I'm hearing the message, I want to know, like, I don't have to know all this stuff, but it's bonus content. If somebody can tell me, you know where they were when they were going through it. Kind of describe some stuff, and because I want to know more about just the the black and white words, the lyric. It's like, what were you going through? You know, they're like, oh, it was, it was, I was in New Orleans, and it was really rainy, and this kind of thing. And it's like, and you you listen to their record differently, the demos differently, because you start to hear the weather. You know, what I mean, you start to hear why they chose those guitar sounds or why they sang this song more gravelly because it's not just like oh that's cool you use this vocal effect you know or something it's like why did you do it and these are the things that inform our choices and that that connects more to like when i say about how i'm getting a perspective you make those choices in production uh, about how you want to frame it and if if the artist has does isn't really sure but they've just got killer songs then we have conversations about what they're into and how we want to deliver that energy through the whole album and what instruments are chosen. If I'm if I'm playing all the instruments, then it's it's even more like what sounds we're gonna use. Are they very organic, classic, acoustic or electric instruments, or is it synthetic or is it a combination of those those kind of textures and maybe some different eras, because obviously recording from Motown through the 70s and Beatles stuff and then to the 80s with big gated reverbs and giant snare drums and and the 90s super super dry giant loud rock records you know and and on into the 2000s and current day is all these kind of new production tools so there's this kind of conversation of like how do you, what's the lighting like? You know, what era do you like uh, sounds from and you feel very connected to that need to express the message in this record? Because it's, it's not always about my choice because I may hear a record that they're singing right away and get a vision of like, this would be killer if, but I'm not here to to make you sound like, you know, McKay Garner featuring you, you know? I want to know what, what it is that you're you're about and if I'm not the person to play certain instruments um, I may play nothing on a record or with a band it may just be about arrangements or capturing the right performance or like you know I wonder if the bridge should should be you know twice as long or maybe we should do this vocal up an octave because it has a different feeling here and getting the tempos right getting the key right those kind of things because things like the key and the tempo are like choose an orange versus yellow you know it's just a little bit of different tweak of a lever and you're like man that just feels but you know it if you've done it you know straight away when you get tempo or the key or something is is a little darker and it's like this one's a little too light blue for that rainy New Orleans thing we need to go down a half step you know and get into this range of of the voice or down tune the guitars or something um those are, really, those are really the conversations I have with, like, what are you into? Because it's easy enough to go, I'm in a studio. This guy produces records and uh, just start recording stuff. I like to know, like, what's the message? Because it, it's honestly the records that really resonate with me. And I think most everybody on a human level is, does it sound like the truth? <laughs> you know, do I believe what you're saying right now? And that, that doesn't mean just the lyrics, it might be a, a guitar performance, it might be a sound you chose or something that could be so abstract, and I've never heard that message heard that way, but I'm like, I believe it straight away. And if it feels like it's just been produced to try to check some boxes that are popular, but I don't believe the message, then it's... It's more like, oh, this is cool. I like the snare sound. Or, you know, I really like the way the guitars do this. And that can be g- great, too, its own value, you know. But getting performances that feel like that's the best that person has told the story, wherever they are in their practice or their their artist journey, you know, the more they've been doing it and the more connected they are to that, that antenna of their authentic, message, you know, um, the easier it is to just hit record. But that can vary from day to day. It's hard to go back to, you know, I wrote the song when I, when I lost my mom or something, you know, and, and it's like, if you, somebody just comes in out of traffic and they spilled their coffee on themselves, they're not thinking about that. You know, you may get the completely wrong vocal and, and you need to know when it's like, that was a good take, you're in pitch and all this stuff, but were you believing it were you there you know mm-hmm. what i mean and you're like oh, you know what let's do this again tomorrow let's see what we get and and tomorrow may not be it either so you may need to sit down. you know let's take a walk let's take a drive over here and let's have a conversation about what's really going on because if you're not in the headspace if you're not angry enough to to deliver rage against the machine or something in a particular message and you just you're just kind of Going through the pitches and the words, it's like it, it doesn't feel like I believe you until I believe you. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harp on you about that. Um, I think that's the thing about being a producer is like, how do you get there without you're you're constantly making decisions which involves some kind of judgment. So how do you how do you navigate like you know, how do you feel like that you know and as as the final uh, decision makers, whether you're the producer or the artist, you know, artist is always involved because it's their record, their face on it. But if they trust me, it's like, let's talk about this. And here's, here's why I feel like I've heard you do some things that might translate to, to be in the truth more. Let's try some of those things or, mm-hmm. or maybe it's just not working in that, that octave, or maybe it's, let's try, let's try this other approach. Let's try it a new headphone mix, just that alone, yeah. you know, it could be like, you're just, you're used to singing the guitar and we've got this giant mix coming at you, you know, let's just mute everything and just leave the guitar. And, and immediately you may get something completely different. Cause you've, you've taken everything out of the room and you're like, it was just you in the chair and the guitar in your headphones, you know? <laughs> so. It's all one giant
0: therapy session, whether, you know, it's like coaching yeah, it's someone through their those, session. Yeah. For or, sure. yeah whether it's coaching someone through their performance or just, like, taking away elements or whatever, it's, like, that therapy session just to make it all, like, feel authentic and, and to have that emotion, like, right there in the song. And, and uh, yeah, I love what you said about, like, feeling the songs and, you know, feeling the emotion of someone. And as soon as you said that, I started thinking of, like, some of my favorite records, and it's, like, there's certain songs that just really stand out to me, and it's, like, oh, yeah, because, like, I, I believe those way more, you know? Like, I could tell that they were just, like, you know, I I listen to a lot of like punk rock and stuff like that. And it's like, I think there's a lot of punk rock artists that like don't believe in what they say. You know, it's like if you're going to fight for something and have like a political message or something like that, like feel it, you know, don't just write something for the sake of it. Right. <laughs> <So it's laughs> or like, they I, believed
1: it, but they didn't record that day, you know, where they were believing it. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. oh, we got to do eight songs today. And I believe two of them when I did it. We should have come back tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Well, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, I know that you do a lot of work for uh, – you've had a lot of music featured in like film and TV and video games and that kind of stuff. And so I'd love to talk a little bit more about that. And it kind of makes sense now that we're starting to talk here and I'm realizing how visual of a person you are when it comes to like your music. You know, it kind of makes sense that like writing for, for these visual mediums would probably be right up your alley because it's just another extension of of, of that visual feel. Um, so I'm wondering, like, where does somebody begin if they're like hoping to have their music licensed or or write for film and TV? Like, how does somebody get into that kind of field?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I actually haven't done that in a, a very long time because I, I've been I've always been working on records, but I, I produced a record for uh, an amazing friend and guitar player. And he happened to be in charge of publishing for a very famous publishing company and was music supervisor on a bunch of shows. And he's like, dude, you can play some different instruments and you got a studio and do some tracks, you know? So, uh, that's one of those diverse diversification kind of choices that a lot of us can make, of like, what do you do with your downtime? You know what I mean? We're all trying to learn new stuff, um, perfect our craft, practice our instruments, go through 7,000 reverbs and figure out which one you like for this sound. And, you know, and, and all these things, plus run our businesses. But um, there's something great about, I'm glad I did a lot of that, because it's, it's, some of it's just been paying me for years and it's how often do you do a day's work and then it pays you, you know what I mean? So That's a dream. those kind of choices are the difference between what the, you know, nowadays is called content, but, um, it's a product basically that could, that keeps getting licensed to be synchronized with um, TV or film or something like that. So much like ha- having your music hit, you know, it just keeps getting, put in rotation and for me getting into um several several there's all these different ways that you can get into that um there's different at revenue streams there's music for library tv libraries meaning it could just be a particular style like here's a whole bunch of of techno or here's a whole bunch of x you know this era of rock or you know, this is all chip tune, and this is all singer-songwriter. So you can put together a certain number of tracks that fit a genre that you find that might be used a lot in television and start to build your library. And you're like, you know, I've got Wednesday off. I'm going to do a library track. Um, if you can, that's, that's the creating content side of it, meaning that you're building up libraries. So that's one revenue stream that these are pieces of music that different people that need music are going to be licensing that music for their uses and then you have specific requests that maybe they they're, they're going to end up in a library but they've got a specific request um, and some of those could be sound alikes like we need something that has the the feeling of Billy Eilish, you know. So you're like, all right, I'm going to work on that track. It's not just a genre, it's very specific. Like I need a Ramones kind of sounding thing. So those are more specific and there's usually that that already has it has a a a definite spot that somebody's looking for. So you're like, okay, that's probably that's getting placed. Will it be my track or somebody else's will be determined by, you know, which one of us gets that gig. So those are, those are two sides of the, the TV world is general library stuff and then specific requests that, that may be mood-based or maybe sound-alikes or something like that. Those eventually usually get put into library um, as well, but they have an, an immediate placement or need for those. And then you've got, of course, commercials, music for commercials, which is a highly competitive... Um, it usually has a similar like request for music that is a sp- a particular vibe, or maybe it's a, they use a reference like this needs to be kind of like, you know, YMCA by the village people, but not that, you know, so it might have a, a feeling or something. This needs to be this particular band. Um, that's commercial music and that's going to have potentially going to have a short run of how long the commercial runs something like tv music i've had stuff that's been on his shows that goes into reruns for years and goes international and goes into reruns over there there so your royalties can go down in the states and then go up all of a sudden overseas or something you know so um with commercials it's usually a usually a short run and you can potentially make a grip of money, and then that's that's kind of it for that, um, unless it goes to the library or something for other uses. And then you have trailer music, as you've seen movie trailers, and that's its own specific technique and what's popular at the time. Um, movie trailer music kind of has these seasons of what they're using consistently. Uh, I remember a couple years ago it was, it was remakes like – you know, a very vibey, modern uh, female singer doing a her version of a Led Zeppelin track. You know, and there are a lot of classic, well-known tunes. It was kind of like remake the cover of these songs used in movie trailers a good bit. Uh, and then there's there's TV and film composition, meaning that you're you're literally the composer for a TV show, or you're a composer for a film hired to do either all of the music for that show, like Seinfeld or something. I'm going back, you
0: know, I'm using these examples. I've been watching the entire Seinfeld series from beginning (laughs) to end recently. So these are really, you know,
1: they're so popular that they're familiar. Um, And then film composition. Some films may use some popular songs, which are licensed, Maybe something you produced gets put into a movie and they used it in a scene where there's a club and they're like, all right, we need this banging track for this club scene, and they use a track. But they also have a composer which may be doing all the other uh, music for the show, you know. So each one of those is its own uh, discipline and has its own nuances of what what you need to be able to do. And getting a job as a film composer usually entails you know, having a degree in composition and arranging or similar just because they really need to know that you can, you can be trusted if they don't know you, if you're Danny Elfman or something, and maybe you do or don't have a degree in as a, as a composer, um, your body of work and maybe your demo reels are just so bananas that they're like, Oh my God. Okay. Your honorary doctorate has (laughs) just arrived, you know? So, um, but I would, I would recommend for, People out there, that's a real, it's a real revenue stream. But it can it can take a while. Like if your music got pay, placed in a TV show tomorrow, it it's probably going to minimum probably going to be a minimum of nine months before you see any income from it because there's a production cycle of the show, and they pay out the front end of that, which would be the the sync license, and then the back end royalties you know, start coming in from ASCAP or BMI or something uh, incrementally and they may be really small at first. And as the, if the show gets picked up and takes off, then it can do really well and you might start seeing that money really increase. It's it's kind of interesting because you don't really know what it's going to be. You don't know if the show is going to hit. You don't know how much the royalty is going to be. You don't know if they're going to feature your song in a, in a scene that, is just background music or is like the, the couple on Grey's Anatomy just broke up and they feature you and your vocal and all that stuff pays differently, you know? Um, so you're, you're not really sure. You're just kind of, my, my wife and I used to watch some of the shows many years ago that I had music on and uh, we'd sit there with a stopwatch, you know, like, oh my God, 45 <laughs> seconds or that was a minute and a half. And what time it plays and all that stuff determine how much, money you're you're going to make on it you know so um if you're at home and you're making a bunch of tracks start researching what shows are using what kind of music and find you know maybe find some shows that have music in your style and and maybe don't send your latest trap beats to somebody who only uses country music on their show or something you know um but you can reach out to them on LinkedIn or wherever and say hey you know I see you do this show and you're using this kind of music and it's it's uh, great the way you're placing music and using it for the show. Do you have any other shows you're working on that might be using, you know, trap beats or something that I'm working on? And just start creating a relationship and be per- be persistent about that. You know, check in every month or something. Circle back because as artists, we tend to think if we don't hear anything, that means no, <laughs> You know, like they didn't love it straight away, but people are just super busy, man. There's just so many emails and so many music, so much music you can, if that's your job and it's, it's my job and several other people's job to listen to music and all day, you know, so if you, in the middle of your day, you've got to listen to parts of music. If you're looking for specific things, then that's your gig, you know, but music supervisors uh, can just get bombarded with stuff that's just not relevant to what they're working on, you know. So if you can do some of the work for them and you've got a bigger chance, I think, of potentially getting your your music placed somewhere that it's really going to get used and you'll be glad you did it. You know, you're like, well, I might not make any money today, but there are several times where I didn't know something was going to, that show was going to hit so hard, you know, and two hours work is like paying you for 20 years, you know, you're like, whoa, that's that a dream, was a man. smart that's, that's move the that day that I made
0: that one drum beat and it's on this show all over the world, you know? Yeah. So, well, that, that's amazing advice. And, and I think it's totally relevant. Like people do need to understand the market that they're getting into and kind of what people are looking for. Um, what advice do you have in terms of like finding the right people? Because it's, it's one thing to like be submitting the right kind of tracks, but like to find these music supervisors, a lot of people don't know who to look for or how, you know, how to get in touch with these people or if they should go through like an agency or a publisher, that kind of thing. Like, you know, where, how, how does somebody find the right person to get their, their music licensed? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm, I'm not
1: sure I'm the the perfect person to answer that, but I can give you some feedback on that is, um, you know, oftentimes there may be credits to pay attention to at the end of movies and shows and see who's just start writing some names down and making notes, put together a spreadsheet of like, you know what? I saw this name listed on this show. Um, You can search LinkedIn, of course, for music supervisors. And then, you know, you don't necessarily have to hit them up straight away. Try to do some research, try to figure out what they're working on. And, you know, they, what, what may be online on LinkedIn or wherever they are may be, you know, six months old and may be on another show. But if you know a bit about their work, even in the, in the past, the past year, past two years or something, then that can give you an idea of uh, what their track record is. And if you see they're working on a lot of big shows, you're like, OK, they've got a lot of uh, authority to get music really working for me so let me see what I have in my library of um, either stuff I've produced or things I've written and and recorded myself because I've, do, I've done that as well I've had several records or EPs, etc. that I've produced that I've s- signed with uh, sp- the same publisher or other publishers and I'm like it, it takes those records a little further because suddenly they're featured in a a major TV show or maybe they made it to a commercial or something. So making those connections not only helps the artist, but it helps me too because, you know, things that I've produced, I like like to see them get as much visibility as possible. So if they end up in a, you know, a Mercedes commercial or something like that, A, it helps pay the artist back some of the recording costs that has been incurred for us making the record, you know, and it gives them some temporary or potentially long-term visibility. Um, If they get the theme song to a show or something like that, you know, it just repeats and it plays a lot, pays a lot more and all that stuff. So just opening the doors is we want to get music heard. So um, I think that's, it's a matter of trying to look at as many lists as you can, like who's got a list of music supervisors for 2022 And does it say what shows they're on? If not, I've got a bunch of names. Let me go on the web and research, you know, find that name and what they're working on. Reach out. Come up with a really uh, engaging email that's not as long as my mouth talks, but maybe (laughs) an email that's introducing yourself, that that you'd like to be a, a trusted resource for particular music, and... You know, send direct links to some some material that you think is relevant to maybe things they're working on with the option to explore other stuff. But don't just go, here's my web page. There's 7,000 songs on it. I hope you find one you like. You know, um, it's rare that somebody's going to kind of do that.
0: Yeah, there's too many barriers in that case. It's like, you know, first they got to like read your email and feel compelled enough to like get to the end of it. Then they got to click on your link and then they got to go finding the right track. Like there's too many, too many roadblocks there. So it's like, make it easy for them. And, and I love the point that you brought up. It's, it's such a simple thing, but it's so relevant. It, like The idea of just watching TV credits, you know, it's like back in the day, people would read album credits and be like, Oh, like I want my, I want to work with so-and-so, or I want to have like, you know, Chris Lord, Algae makes my stuff cause he does everything like, and it's like you, you read you read the credits and you're like, oh, that person is the person that's that's everyone goes to for that kind of thing. So, yeah, like TV credits, it's one of those things that they're not the most entertaining to watch. And, you know, that entertaining show that you just finished is done. But there's 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 some value after the cre- after the show's over to, you know, if you're looking to get your license or your music license. So, yeah, it's such a simple technique, but it, it's definitely uh it's definitely very useful. So yeah, people should definitely take advantage of that. Um, you'd brought up the idea of like content libraries Mm -hmm. and how there's people that write for that kind of stuff. And and it's just like amassing a catalog. Do you recommend that people experiment with lots of different genres of music when they're building up that library? Or is it better to like focus on a specific sound or a specific genre and kind of be known as the person for that kind of sound?
1: Mm. Um, versatility is great you know i I like to be versatile and i think a lot of us like a lot of styles of music but if there are certain things that you know you can rock it out like on a um i would spend both your time and your money you know if you're recording and doing all that yourself and if maybe mixing isn't your best skill yet and you're working on it you know maybe you can collaborate with someone to mix it on the level that you need to have it um presentable for TV or whatever you're placing it in, um, and work a deal with that. And you'd have a partner and it's like, okay, we're using our two skills to make this the best it can be. But if you can, if you can do it all, then try to focus on the things that you know you can rock out and you're like, okay, I am reggae guy and I'm going to do 50 reggae tracks. And, um, you can probably do really well with, it comes back to that same thing. Like, does it sound like the truth? You know what I mean? It's so good. And so authentic. That's like, it doesn't sound like a, a TV version. And when it, that's, that's not really a great thing to say uh, or perspective because there's so much music that's used on TV that can just be so killer, you know? Um, but there's this kind of initial feeling because Early on, you as as cable and streaming um, was really getting more and more popular, so much music needed, and some of it just had such a low bud- budget that the music just sounds like it was partially recorded in three places and not really mixed and whatnot. So you started to get this kind of reputation of some of it being TV music, but then as artists and labels and all that stuff changed into streaming budgets became way different and what used to cost to license a, a you know a Gwen Stefani track or something was now like oh you're not competing with that as you're now competing with that because people aren't making quite the same they were selling CDs that they are in streaming and and other things or at least that was that way for a while so I think really doing something that's really, you're really great at and trying to get that content. And even if you can't, even if your mixed skills aren't ready, start creating all the content, get great performances, get the productions um, dialed into the format they need to be. If it's TV, you know, maybe it's a minute and a half and it has a definite intro, it has an A section, it has a B section, and then it has a definite outro. And do a bunch of pieces like that and go, well, Mixing isn't my forte, but I'm going to do 50 tracks and then I'm going to get them, you know, a bunch of stuff mixed or I'm going to mix five at a time or something. So if you don't have the skills or the budget right now, don't say, I'll do that later when I've got the skills. The content is key. So don't miss an opportunity by going, I'll do that when I'm better. You know, if, if you know the style and you can play it right now, don't let your mastering skills or your your inability to buy the new studio monitors you wanted to buy, you know, tell you not to go in the studio and do it or your bedroom or whatever and knock out some content. Because if you've got good performances and decent sounds and the truth is there, it's easier to make that kill later with a mix.
0: Totally. I I think of my own band and like some of our earlier recordings were just so rough and like I'm embarrassed by them. But, you know, we eventually got better and we started going to better studios and like we had like way, way better, more pro sounding mixes by the end of our time together. But funny enough, like the songs that we got licensed, even when we had those better quality tracks were the ones that were recorded in our basement, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. and like and when I hear them on TV and stuff, I'm like, oh, man, this sounds awful. But like <laughs> but somebody liked it enough that they chose it. Right. So it's like to your point, like don't be waiting till you're till you're ready or you're perfect at it. Like sometimes just like having that catalog of stuff is, is all you need to get started and and to create that momentum. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of producers or artists do that is they, they're feeling it like they got a new song and they're really feeling it, but they won't record it because they're like, no, my new mic is, I, I can't buy that until next month or something. And I get it. There's a little bit of like, oh, I don't want to get this great performance on my 57, you know, like, because I know it'll be better on my U47 I'm getting next month or something, you know. It's like you you can't necessarily turn that antenna off. Once you shut it off, it's going to be different next month. You know, you may kill it. You know, it may be even better. But, you know, when you've got kind of the... the the tingles, the connection happening of like, I'm really feeling what I'm, I'm saying right now, then do what you can to get it down with wh- what you got the best you can, because technology, technology is bananas right now. The stuff we can make sound good out of something that maybe, you know, would have been really hard to make sound good 10 or 20 years ago. It's crazy. Like I've, I've had so many recordings where I'm, Uh, you just couldn't make it sound great. And you've got stuff like Isaac Tope, D D Clipper, and you've got ways to extract drums from, you know, a stereo Zoom recording of your little Zoom recorder or something and trigger the kick and the snare and do all these other things to turn it into this giant sounding record (laughs) from something you recorded in your recording space. You know, that takes a little bit of skill, but if you waited till later to, to capture a snapshot of that experience, it's like the sun might've gone down on that and it's just not going to be the same sunset. You know, it's like, eh, I'll wait till fall. And you're like, yeah, the leaves change. It's not, it's not a spring photo anymore. Like you were feeling. <laughs> you <know? laughs>
0: that's a great it's point. Funny. Yeah. I actually think that that's a perfect spot to, to wrap up because yeah, it's so true. Like don't, don't put off, going after your goals right now it's like you're you're working on stuff and you're excited by it just like just act on it you know and then and you will see the benefits of it if you just push yourself to to go for it because yeah you the 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 best time to like you know they always say like the best time to like get into real estate was like twenty years ago or, or like you know, or whatever, right? It's like it's always in the past. So, you know, you you you're in this moment now, just enjoy it and like jump on it and uh you know, put yourself out there and you'll you'll see the benefits of that. So um yeah, man, I, I love everything you had to say here today. It was great. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. So that was my interview with McKay Garner, and that was a great interview. I thought he did an amazing job of detailing the different revenue streams for people who are looking to write music for film and TV and some of the different approaches that you can take to get your music featured. And I thought he gave some really great tips there for how to find the right people and how to prepare your music and how to you know, pitch it to them in a way that can hopefully actually land you some licensing gigs. And I thought that he brought up a really great point about the idea of When you're licensing your music, it's not always just a one-time payment and you're done. Instead, it can actually be an incredible recurring revenue stream. And when you get enough songs licensed, you kind of just build this foundation of royalties that you can collect every year. And it can be quite lucrative. I know people that are literally making thousands of dollars each and every year for songs that they had written 10, 20 years ago, all because they got their music licensed in the right shows or shows that play often. So there's definitely a lot of money to be made here, and this is definitely another revenue stream that a lot of people should explore, because if you're working on amazing music, maybe your goal isn't to be a rock star and to tour and to play lots of gigs. Maybe your songs can be better off used in film and television, and that is your niche. That is the market that you should be focusing on. So I hope that you found that enlightening and that you now have a much better idea of how that industry works and how you might be able to profit off of it. So I hope that you enjoyed that episode, and if you did, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast, that way you're notified about all new episodes as they go live each and every Wednesday morning. And also make sure to visit MasterYourMix.com, that is where I help out musicians with creating pro-sounding recordings from your home studio. So whether you're working on music to you know, record your own record, or maybe you are working on music for licensing, and you're trying to get the quality of your tracks up so that they sound pro and they compete with everything else that you hear out there. Check out MasterYourMix.com because that's where I've got a ton of great resources designed to help make the process of mixing your music easy. And one resource that you definitely want to check out is called The Mixing Mindset. That is a book that I put out a while ago that became an Amazon number one bestseller. And inside of the book, I walk you through the entire process of mixing your tracks from knowing what tools to use, what to listen for, what to boost, what to cut, when to be using effects, when to be using automation, and so much more. That book just breaks it down and makes it super simple. So once again, that's called The Mixing Mindset, and you're going to want to check that out at MasterYourMix.com. So that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and I can't wait to talk to you in the next one. Take care. Later. Thanks for listening to the Master Your Mix podcast. To have your questions answered, submit your questions to questions at MasterYourMix.com please go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. And for more information on how you can improve your mixes, visit MasterYourMix.com.